with a message from God's Word, here's Charles Stanley. This is the next message in the series on the crucified life, and the title of this message, The Cross Where Our Victory Was Won. And what I want to do this morning is to show you something that you must understand before you will actually believe and appropriate for yourself what God says is true. So if you'll turn to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. And let's read two verses of this chapter. He says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, it's one thing to hear that we've been saved, that we've been co-crucified with the Lord Jesus Christ. But what we have to ask, and I think this is a legitimate question for anybody and everybody to ask. Now that I've been saved, how do I know and on what basis can I expect to be victorious in my Christian life? Because my Christian life has been up and down, off and on, in and out for years and years and years. In fact, when I look over my shoulder to see my track record, my track record for living the Christian life really looks disastrous. And so having heard these sermons and one message after the other on the cross and its effect in our life, how can I know for sure? What is the basis? What is the foundation of all this? What I want to know is, will it work when I am in the white heat of temptation? Will it work when the bottom drops out? Will it work on Monday morning? Will it work on Thursday night? Will it really and truly work in my life? Or is this just some religious uh, lingo? Are we talking about some more theological terms? Are we talking about something that will make a difference where I live any day, every day, and regardless of my circumstances? And the answer is yes, it is. And yes, it will make the difference. Now, when Jesus Christ was crucified that day, that was a crucifixion unlike the thousands that had been crucified before. For in the day that Jesus Christ was crucified, it appeared to be like all the other crucifixions. And that is that this man was a victim. This man was conquered. This man died a horrible, painful death. The truth is, the day when Jesus Christ was crucified, he did not die as a victim, but he was crucified and still the victor. It wasn't merely the end of a man's life. It was the beginning of something else for the whole world. Jesus Christ's crucifixion was not the end of anything, but the beginning of something great that God was offering by grace to all humanity. Now, it's very important that you and I understand what happened at the cross. Because, you see, the majority of God's people are living in defeat. Listen, not because they have no victory. The victory has already been won. The Bible says the victory is already ours, but the appropriation of that victory, living in that victory, claiming in that victory, enjoying that victory is something else. We are not believers that are climbing the ladder, this tremendous mountain, struggling to do our best somehow to get closer and closer to God. That is not the witness of Scripture, but it is the witness of the majority of believers. 
It isn't a matter of struggling through this life, hoping one of these days we will reach some plateau of victory and therefore our Christian life will get better and easier. That isn't what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that you and I already have the victory. The victory has already been won. And it is very important that you and I understand what happened at the cross unless we do understand what happened. We're not going to walk in victory. We're not going to claim the victory. We're going to keep on living a roller coaster life. We're going to be able to look back over our life after 50, 60, 75 years and see the same old train of defeat over and over and over again. What I want you to see very clearly is what happened at the cross because that is the foundation. That is the basis. Everything else in the believer's life rests upon our understanding and our appropriation of the truth of what happened at the cross of Jesus Christ. I want you to listen carefully. And my friend, listen. I'm sure that some of you are living in terrible defeat. You've got defeats in your marriage. You're defeating your financial life. You're defeating your vocation. Defeating your social life. You're defeating your Christian walk. You've searched for peace, for joy, for happiness. You've searched and searched and searched. And you can't find it. Some of you are about to give up and say, forget the whole blooming mess. It doesn't work. The Christian life isn't cracked up. Isn't what it's cracked up to be. But the Bible has left out something because I've tried and tried and tried. And all my trying hasn't got me anything else but more and more and more of the same defeat. What I want to hear is something that will change this life of defeat. And I want you to listen because I'm about to tell you what that is. What happened at the cross? What really happened the day that Jesus Christ was crucified? There were two thieves, one crucified on both sides. And it appeared that the only thing that happened was what usually happens when the Roman crucified someone. And that is that a man would hang there until he died of suffocation and bleeding. On the day that Jesus Christ was crucified, many men had hanged upon that cross. But this is the first time anybody ever went to that cross, and the whole world was affected by it. Secondly, it is the only time anybody was ever placed upon a cross and nailed there, and it appeared that he was crucified alone, when in reality, crucified with him was the body of every single believer who would ever believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Paul called it co-crucifixion with Jesus Christ. Now, what really and truly happened at the cross, and unless you understand this, Unless you get the picture that I'm about to show you, you will not live in continuing victory. What is the first thing that happened at the cross? The first thing that happened at the cross was this. That Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, came to the cross, was nailed there, and died there as a substitution for you and me. And the atoning death for your sins and my sins. That is, He paid sin's penalty for you and me. In the moment that he died upon that cross, the scripture said, he took upon himself the sin of all mankind. He took upon himself the sin of the world. And in that moment of dying for your sin and my sin, he says in First Peter, if you look there for just a moment, in verse 18 and 19, that we were redeemed not with, not with silver and gold, but verse 19 says, but with the precious blood of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Chapter 2, verse 24. And Christ bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds we were healed. Then he says again in chapter 3, verse 18, 
For Christ died for sins once for all, but ju the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Now, here's what happened. Listen. The Scripture says that Jesus Christ died in your place and my place. That is, when he was crucified, God the Father placed all of the sin of all mankind upon him. And that means, listen that God was able to remain the just God that he is and at the same time declare guilty sinners no longer guilty because the price of their unrighteousness and their transgression had been paid for in the blood of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Now listen to me very carefully. What I'm about to say I'm coming back to, this is a clincher, this is the key, and you must understand this, and you must listen to me very carefully. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago, and you accepted him several years ago as your Savior, let me ask you a question. Did his death provide for your salvation even before, listen now, did his death make your salvation possible before you believed? Yes or no? Yes, indeed. Was his atoning death at the cross 2,000 years ago an actual, theological, biblical, divine truth even before you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, yes or no? Did your believing in Jesus Christ's death for your sin make his death so? No. It was so before you believed it. It, it was so whether you believed it or not. So his atoning death at the cross was, a, was an actual divine truth even for you, before you believed. Then the question is, how did his atoning death on the cross 2,000 years ago have any effect upon your life now 2,000 years later? The way it had an effect upon your life is this. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe on him. He says, verily, verily, I send you, he that believeth on my name, believeth in me. He says, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Not only that, he said, if we believe in him, we have already passed, what, from condemnation? We have passed from condemnation and death into life, so that it is all a matter of faith. Listen, let me ask you a question now. What Jesus Christ did on the cross, it happened whether you believed or not. Amen? Did, listen, did your believing it make it so? Absolutely not. Your believing did not make the crucifixion so. Watch that. It was so, whether you believed it or not, it was so because God did it. It is so today, whether you believe it or not. So the crucifixion of Jesus Christ on the cross for your sins and mine, it happened as an actual fact, and its happening has nothing to do with my belief. The only thing that my belief does is that my belief is the channel by which the blessings of his atoning sacrifice become mine, and I am a forgiven, accepted, redeemed, reconciled, justified, sanctified, glorified child of God. Amen? All right. That's the first thing that happened at the cross. The second thing that happened at the cross is equally as important for the believer. Because when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he dealt with S-I-N-S. -S, that is, his blood atoned for my sins. That is, I am a forgiven man for my sin. But I had another problem, and that is the problem of sin itself. He says when he went to the cross, it appeared when those who came and looked at that cross, it appeared there were two thieves and one man who called himself the Messiah, Jesus Christ. 
But the Bible says that when Jesus Christ was crucified between those two thieves, not only was there a thief on this side, a thief on that side, and in the center was the Messiah, but on that cross with the Lord Jesus Christ, there were you crucified with him. And there I was crucified with him. And that's what Paul says. Listen to me. He says, I was crucified. I have been in the past tense. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives within me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Look, if you will, in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 3 to what he says. He says in verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, placed into his body by the baptizing work of the Holy Spirit, have been baptized, listen, into his what? Into his death. Into his crucifixion. That means we were identified by God the Father in his crucifixion. That when he was crucified, God saw each one of us crucified with him. Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death. In order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too shall be raised and walk in newness of life. For if we've become united with him, identified with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Listen now. Knowing this... That our old man, that is what you were before you were saved, has been past tense crucified with Christ, that our body of sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be the slaves of sin. That God says in his word that when Jesus Christ was crucified, I was crucified. Now watch me carefully. Listen, let's go back to what we said a few moments ago. When you came to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, was his atoning death on the cross an actual fact before you believe? Yes or no? Yes. All right. According to God's word, was, listen, when Jesus Christ was crucified, even before you believed, according to God's word, were you crucified with him? That's pretty weak. Listen. According to God's word, he says, when he was crucified, you were crucified. Amen? So that it has nothing to do with whether you believe it or not. Your crucifixion was an actual fact in the mind of God and on the cross. Before you believe, he says, you were crucified. Now listen to me. You were saved as in response to your faith. He had atoned for your sins. Your believing, listen, did your believing make the atonement? True or not true? No, it did not. Does your, listen, does your understanding or your believing make your crucifixion real or unreal? Does it? Has nothing to do with it. Friend, the scripture says that when Jesus Christ was crucified, every believer was crucified with him. Whether you understand it or not is not the issue. The issue is if you don't understand it, you miss the blessings of co-crucifixion. Just like if you don't understand the atoning death of Jesus Christ and don't believe that, you miss the blessing of salvation. My faith has nothing to do with what God did. My faith has to do with whether I receive the blessing of what God did or not. Very important we understand that. Because Satan will tell you, now wait a minute, how could somebody's death 2,000 years ago affect you today? Because God said it would. How can his crucifixion 2,000 years ago, how could you have been crucified with him before you were born? Friend, I don't have to figure that out. All I have to do is just believe what God said. Somebody says, I know that little motto, the, uh, the Bible says it, and I believe it, and that settles it. Oh, no, the Bible says it, that settles it, therefore I believe it. That's the way it ought to be spoken. He said you were crucified with him in his crucifixion, and therefore you and I have the privilege of having and experiencing the blessing of co-crucifixion. The first thing that happened to the cross, listen, dealt with my eternity. 
That is, by my salvation experience, I am fitted for glory. I'm heaven-bound, sealed by the Holy Spirit, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, a child of God, adopted into the kingdom, translated out of the kingdom of, of darkness into the kingdom of light. I'm heaven-bound because Jesus died for my sins. But that doesn't deal with the whole problem because that leaves the old sin principle operating, listen, in my fleshly body. I've got five senses. I'm living in a world of the flesh, the devil, the world system. And the Bible says that the devil is the God of this age. Listen, he's not the God of the believer. He's not the God of the church. Many of God's people act like he's their God. Oh, I believe in Jehovah Yahweh, Elohim. I believe in that God. But what about the God of this age? I'm so burdened with sin. I'm so downtrodden with sin. I'm so defeated as a believer. Friend, we're acting like the devil is our God. God, he's not our God. He's a defeated foe. And that's the whole message of the cross. Listen to what he says. He says, when you were crucified, why did God crucify you and me? He died on the cross and shed his blood for my S-I-N-S. He had to deal with old Charles Stanley. So what did he do? He couldn't improve Charles Stanley. So he had to crucify him and kill him. Get rid of him and do what? Indwell this old physical body with the presence of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit living the life of Jesus Christ through you and me, friend. Listen, you don't feel like it. You don't act like it. You don't look like it. But the truth is that it's absolutely the truth of God. You've got Jesus living in you, the Holy Spirit, seeking to release through you the life of Almighty God so that your life will be an extension of the life of Jesus here on earth. That is the truth. And whether you believe it or not, doesn't alter that one single iota. The problem is that the devil's convinced too many of you that it's not true. Have I told you the gospel truth up until now? Say amen. amen. That is nothing but the pure gospel truth of God. You say, but I don't understand. That has nothing to do with it. Listen, have you ever met a lost man who understood the, the atoning, substitutionary, reconciling, justifying, sanctifying, glorifying death of Jesus Christ on the cross before he was saved? You never have. And friends, you won't understand co-crucifixion with Jesus Christ until you're willing to tell him, Lord, I don't understand it all, but you said it, I believe it, and here is my life, and I'm trusting you to live your life in me. Very important that I understand that my faith, listen, my faith didn't make him die for my sins. He died for my sins, and I responded by faith and was saved. My faith has nothing to do with my co-crucifixion. I was co-crucified with him and has nothing to do with that. It happened whether I believe it or not. And the fact that I am willing to accept by faith the truth, then, listen, the supernatural power of the living God begins to move in the life of those who are willing to accept by faith what the Bible says is the truth of Almighty God. Listen, there is no victory. There is absolutely no victory as long as I see myself the way most believers see themselves. Struggling through life, trying to read the Bible more, trying to overcome sin, trying to do better, trying to go to church, trying to give more, trying, 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 trying. All we have in our whole realm, in our whole highway behind us is defeat after defeat after discouragement after misery trying to do what God said we could not do. That's the first two things that happened at the cross. But listen, now watch this because here's the platform. Watch this. It isn't enough for Jesus Christ to have died for my sins and get me fit for heaven. It isn't enough for Jesus Christ to be living in my life right now, fitting me to live here on earth in victory, unless something else transpired at the cross. And the something else was that Satan was defeated at the cross. Now, I want you to look at a number of scriptures and follow me, if you will, beginning in 1 John chapter 3. You'll recall when Jesus stood in the temple that day and they gave him the prophet Isaiah and he stood to read. He said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And he began to read from that from uh, uh, the from the prophecy. And here's what he read. He said, as he began to read and to pour out 
the scriptures to those who were listening, reading about himself. Listen to what he said. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And he has sent me to do what? To proclaim release to the captives. That is, he came to release the captives, to recover the sight of the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So listen, Jesus says, I have come to do something in the lives of men. I've come to seek and to save that which is law. I've come to give my life a ransom for many. I've come that men might have life and have it more abundant. He said, I've come to release those who are in captivity. Those who are enslaved of the power of sin. He says, I've come to give them freedom and liberty and joy and peace and life everlasting. Listen to what he said. First John chapter 3, verse 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. That is, the one whose lifestyle, whose way of life is... is uh, is of the devil, is practicing sin. He says in the next phrase, the Son of God appeared for this purpose. What is that purpose? That he might destroy the works of the devil, that he might break them up, that he might shatter them, that he may break the power of sin, that he may break the power of Satan. Listen, unless, listen, unless I understand and unless I appropriate in my life that Satan is a defeated foe, listen, listen, not defeated because I'm strong in a given temptation, but he says that Jesus Christ defeated Satan. That he came into the world not only to seek and to save that which is lost, not only to release the captives. Listen, how could he seek and save the lost? How could he give the abundant life? How could he release the captives until, first of all, on the cross, Jesus Christ died on that cross and he shattered the power of Satan himself. He's the God of this age, but he's not the God of God's people. He said, what did he do? He said, destroy the works of the devil. Move on down, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Look at this beautiful verse. Wonderful, encouraging verse. He says, beginning in verse 14, since then the children share in the flesh and blood. That means they share in humanity. That is, we've got this old fleshly body of ours. He says, he himself likewise also partook of the same. That is, Jesus Christ was both God and human. That is, he had a fleshly body just like ours, but no sin as you and I have within us. When Jesus, for example, refers to himself as the Son of Man, listen to me. He called himself the Son of God, but he often called himself the Son of Man. By the Son of Man, what he was doing was identifying himself with sinful men. Why did Jesus Christ go to the Jordan River and get baptized by John the Baptist? When he said, you come to me, he says, showing me what? Showing me evidence of your repentance when Jesus Christ had never sinned, therefore he didn't have to repent. The reason Jesus went to John the Baptist down to the Jordan is to identify himself with sinful man. He came to to seek and to save sinful man. He came to release sinful man from the bondage of sin and iniquity. And he says he called himself the, the son of man, which was his way of identifying his identification with man that hanging down that cross suspended between heaven and earth. There is the bridge between heaven and earth. There is the medium between God and man. And there's no other way for man to get to God except through the cross of Jesus Christ and his atoning death there. So what is he saying? He's simply saying here, listen. Since then the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself also partook of the same, that through death he might rent, listen, through death he may render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Did you hear what he said? He said he came to render powerless, render powerless the power of death. Listen. He might render powerless him who had the power of death. Now watch that verse. We're coming back later. That is, Satan had the power of death. He says, Jesus came to render him powerless. 
That is, in the life of the believer, not the life of the unbeliever. The life of the unbeliever is subject to and enslaved to the devil. The power of the believer, the indwelling power of the believer, makes him stronger than Satan. Listen, render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Jesus Christ on the cross defeated Satan. He says he rendered, listen, he rendered his power ineffective and useless, listen to me now, in the life of the believer when the believer chooses to respond properly. It isn't, listen, almost everything I'm going to say is what God's done. There, there are two responsibilities you and I have. One of them is to choose and one of them is to believe. All the rest of the responsibility belongs to God. Look, if you will, over in Colossians chapter 2 for just a moment. Same verses in chapter 2, verse 14, 15. Look to what he says. He says that he having, having canceled the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, that is, listen, everything that Satan has decreed against us, everything the law said we were guilty of, and we've all been guilty of the whole law, he says, listen, which was hostile toward us, he has taken it out of the way and he has done what? He says he has nailed it to the cross. Who nailed it to the cross? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, nailed Listen, what did he do? Listen, he not only nailed everything that Satan could come up with in his case against you, he nailed Satan's case to the cross. Not only that, he nailed you and me to the cross with it. Our sins are forgiven and our life has been transformed because Satan is a defeated foe. That is, he exposed Satan for what he was. Look, if you will, in verse 15. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Satan, he says, his power has been shattered. He has been triumphed over. That is, something drastic has happened to Satan. Jesus Christ has defeated him as the enemy of the people of God. Look in Ephesians chapter 1 for a moment. Here he's talking about the body of Christ and what he's done in our lives. And he says, beginning in 19, what he desires that you and I see and what we experience in our life. Look, if you will. He says he wants us to know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he, watch this now, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the Father's right hand in the heavenly places. Listen, far above what? All rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under the feet of Jesus and gave him as head over all things to the church. Where does that put the Lord Jesus Christ? It puts the Lord Jesus Christ today seated at the Father's right hand as the head of the body, the head of the church. It puts him in the in this presence of the Father at the Father's right hand. And he said before he left here, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given unto Jesus Christ. Listen, he didn't say some of it. He didn't say most of it. He didn't say 99% of it. He says all authority, all power has been given unto him. And he says, therefore, go sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is, he is the Christ of supreme sovereign authority. Listen now, let me ask you a question. Friend, if wherever your head goes, where's your body going? It's going to follow it, right? All right, let me ask you a question. If the head, the Lord Jesus Christ, is in, in heaven, where is the body? Where is the body? 
In heaven, all right. Somebody says, but last week you said it was on earth. Absolutely right. It's on earth and it's in heaven. Look, if you will, in chapter 2 of Ephesians, beginning with uh, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Listen, identified in his crucifixion, identified in his burial, identified in his resurrection. As Jesus was raised, he raised us. He says, so by grace you're saved. And verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come he may show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Listen, the Bible says, you know where you are today. Listen to me. He says, not only were you crucified with him, you were buried with him, you rose with him, you, you, you have the resurrection power of Jesus Christ within you, you are the body of Christ, we are the body of Christ. Listen, doing what? Expressing the life of Jesus Christ on earth. But at the same time, he says, you and I in our spirit, we are seated in the heavenly in Christ Jesus, that's where we're living from and that's where we're reigning from. Now think about that for a moment. According to God's Word, what's happened to you? You've been saved by the grace of God. According to God's Word, He says you've been crucified with the Lord Jesus Christ. The old self crucified, now you have this new creation life living within this body of yours. The power of the Holy Spirit releasing the life of Jesus Christ through you. He says not only that, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is alive within your life. And not only that, he says, but in your spirit, he says, you are already seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Can you tell me something so grotesque as somebody, some believer seated by the Father's right hand, living in defeat, wallowing around in sin, living in defeat, living in the kind of defeat that most believers are living in? You know why we're living in defeat? Because we don't have the slightest idea who we are and where we are according to God's Word. We're believing the devil's lie. That's what we're doing. We're believing the devil's lie. And when the devil begins to lie and you begin to believe his lie, friends, you're going down defeat. What did Jesus say about Satan? He had his apostles together and they'd come back with these glowing reports. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven. He says, I saw him fall from heaven like lightning. He said in that eighth chapter of John also, listen, he said the devil, the, the devil is the father of all lies. He's the, he's the source of all lies and all lies come to him. Let me show you what he'll do to you, my friend. And you see, he doesn't want us to believe this. Satan, what, the last thing in the world, he wants you to believe that he's defeated because, listen, he's got most believers thinking that he's triumphing in the world. He's the God of this age. Nobody can stand against him. We are powerless and helpless before the devil. So what does he say to you? Here you go to work tomorrow morning or this afternoon sometime. And what happens? Here comes temptation. Oh, there it is right in front of you. A temptation to say or to do or to feel or look or whatever the temptation may be. And what happens? Satan says, you can't face that. Look at your past record. Your past record is one failure after the other. And besides that, I'm the God of this age. Who do you think you are? You worm, you scoundrel, you sinner. Look at the guilt in your life. Look at the things that you've done. What makes you think you're going to be able to do it this time? There's no way in the world for you to do it. Because after all, you're weak. Didn't old Paul say that he was weak? Didn't Paul talk about weakness? How do you think you're going to live in liberty? For you to talk about liberty and freedom and overcoming is all just hypocrisy. Because look at your life. Look at the times you've sinned. Look at the times you've been defeated. Look at the times you've disobeyed God. There's no way in the world for you to do it. And besides that, who do you think you are anyway, my friend? That's the time we need to shout it out with all that we have. I want to tell you, Satan, who I am. But let me tell you something. If he can get you convinced that you're a sinner struggling through this world, doing the best you can, trying to be better, if he can convince you that you're going down in utter, absolute, and total defeat, why? Because he's hoodwinked you, that's the reason. Because he's fed you a lie and you believed it. He's told, listen, if you'll notice what I've said, he's told you all the things you can't do. 
And he said to you, listen, everybody does a little bit of it. Nobody's perfect. You're a Baptist. You're eternal secure. And after all, you say by the grace of God, a little more sin's not going to hurt you. And after all, you can't be perfect what Jesus said when he said in the Sermon on the Mount, be ye perfect. He didn't mean that, so go ahead and just disobey and don't worry about it. Because after all, you can get on your knees tonight and just confess First John 1, 9, God will forgive you and keep on going. I'm glad you didn't laugh because, brother, it's serious business because that's exactly where too many of God's people are living. They're living on their knees confessing First John 1, 9. You know what they're doing? They keep on picking the same old rotten fruit off of the tree. And God doesn't want that. He wants to cure you at the root. And you know what you have to do to do that? You've got to take your position on the cross and believe that when he was crucified, you were crucified in the old self, my friend, out of which you live most of your life. You don't have to live it anymore. Because there's a victory been provided at the cross. And my friend, until I understand the absolute reality of Satan's utter and disastrous defeat in the life of the believer, I'm going to live in sin. I'm going down in one defeat after the other. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm not talking about an experience. I'm just talking about believing the Word of God. That's all. And where do most people believe? They live in defeat. Haven't you awakened some days and you dreaded the day? Haven't you awakened some days and you say, Oh God, I know it's coming. I can't face it. Oh God, what am I going to do? And Satan just, he just hurls one of those vicious black clouds at you. Covers you. Depression, despair, and misery. Frustration, anxiety, and fear. And before you ever get your clothes on in the morning, you're already defeated. Then we wonder why the folks we work around don't trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. I don't blame them. Now let me ask you a question. See if any of that is consistent with any of this. Look in Second, Second Corinthians. I'll tell you, I could just get so blessed. Second Corinthians chapter 2. Listen to this. All this defeated in the muck and mire of Satan's lies and his filth and his junk and his trash. Making people miserable and defeated and wallowing in sin. See if this has anything to do with that. Chapter 2 of Corinthians verse... 14, but thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus and listen and manifest or reveals through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Listen, you know what he's saying? My friend, when you walk into your office tomorrow morning, you let us listen. Listen, far more important than smelling Chanel number no. 5 and Chloe and Joy, they need to smell the aroma of Jesus Christ and the character of the living, loving Lord in your life. That's what he's talking about. He says, when you and I are walking in victory, listen, when you and I are walking in victory, there's an aroma about us. There's a, there's a delight about us. People are going to be drawn. Listen, they're not drawn to us because, oh, us got crucified. We are sitting in the heavens in Christ Jesus. That's Jesus they smell. That's the aroma of the life of love that they've gotten a hold of. And they want to know what it is you've got. Listen, if you walk, you ladies, you walk in among your friends and they've not smelled that before. They say, oh, what are you wearing? And you tell them, what do they do? If they like it, they run down to the department store. They don't even ask the price. They're so convinced and persuaded they have a little bit of that, that they smell just like you do. And so they just say, I want a bottle of it. The price may, listen, the price may determine how many ounces, but friend, they're going to get some. And I want to tell you something else. When Jesus Christ, when the sweet aroma of Jesus Christ begins to permeate your environment, where you work and where you live, listen, people are not going to ask about the price. They're going to say, I want some of that. I want some Jesus in my life. That's what they're going to be saying. 
We're wondering why they're living in defeat. Because they don't see enough victory in us. They don't see enough life in us. They see us wobbling in on Monday morning to work, defeated living in sin and disobeying God and rationalizing and believing the devil's lie. And we wonder why they're not trusting Jesus. I'll tell you why. Does that verse have anything to do with living in defeat? Not a bit in this world. Look back over in Romans chapter 5. Beautiful, wonderful, exciting verse. Listen to what he says. Chapter 5 of Romans verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one, that is Adam, death reigned through the one, the whole human race was poisoned by him. Much more those who receive, listen, listen, not a pittance of grace, but the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. He says, we will not, listen, we will not struggle in life. We will do what? We will reign in life. That's not the picture of a struggling, groveling believer. Listen, climbing the mountain of righteousness, trying to do better, and trying to please God, and trying to get a little closer, and trying to get acceptance. I want you to know something, my dear brother and sister. You've already got the victory. You don't have to climb the victory. You don't have to run the victory. You don't have to walk the victory. You don't have to fight the victory. He says the victory's already been won. Who won the victory? Jesus won the victory. Where did he win it? He won it on the cross. He won your salvation there. He won your crucifixion there. And he defeated the devil there. And listen, when Satan was defeated and Jesus Christ rose from the, grid, uh, from the dead, which was God's proclamation to the world, that the whole atoning sacrifice had been, had been accepted and that Jesus Christ was victor. That was the shout of the proclamation of victory and liberty. The battle's over. The victor's won and the people of God are eternally secure in Him. That doesn't sound like groveling in the muck and mire of sin and trying to do better. Victory. Liberty. Freedom, he says, reigning in life. Listen, to look at Romans chapter 8. Does this sound like somebody who's overcome with sin? Does this sound like somebody who's trying to do better? Does this sound like somebody who's living in defeat? Listen to this in verse 37 of Romans 8. But in all these things, whatever, you brother, you name it, he says, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. We are victorious through him who loved us. For I'm convinced, listen, he says, that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You can't beat that. Does that sound like defeat? No. You know what I'm showing you, my friend? I'm showing you that the life some of you are listening, the life some of you are living and claiming to be the children of God, either you are, listen, either you are lost are you walking in ignorance and you've rationalized your defeat? And I want to tell you, my friend, God's trying to say to you, get out of that defeat. Get on top. Start reigning in life with Jesus Christ, not grumbling in the sin. And he's trying to explain it away. You don't have to live in defeat. We've been told by the devil too long. And listen, he's got a sack full of excuses. I mean to tell you right now, he'll beat you over the head with them to convince you that he's right. And let me tell you what he always does. He always points to your past to show you that you're about to be defeated. Now, what's the key? Three things happened at the cross. Jesus Christ died for my sins. Jesus Christ crucified me that I might be free to live liberated in him and the Holy Spirit living the life of Jesus Christ through me. And so thirdly, Satan was defeated there. Brother, listen, if he got defeated, that listen. Unless he were, listen, unless, unless Satan was defeated at the cross and his power broken and busted and shattered and displayed, unless that happened, then everything Jesus said is just a matter of just language and talk. But he defeated him. 
and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, that was God's proof and proclamation to the world that, listen, Satan's most powerful tool and life's most dreaded experience. God took the sting out of that when he crucified the Lord Jesus Christ and then raised him from the dead, shattering the very power of death itself. Friend, listen. We ought to be getting up and running around the block shouting, Hallelujah, we are victors and not victims of sin. But now the question comes, how does all of this work in my life? What happens? I want you to notice something. Turn, if you will, to the book of Revelation. I want to show you something interesting here. You'll recall in the second and third chapters of the book of Revelation that these are the Lord's messages to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And most of these messages are messages of uh, judgment and condemnation, except one of them primarily. But look, if you will, beginning in chapter 2, verse 1, that's Ephesus. I want you to see that I'm going to call the names of the churches. I want you to see something that Jesus said to every single one of these churches. Look, if you will, in verse 7, chapter 2, verse 7. Church at Ephesus. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise, the paradise of God. The church at Smyrna, look in verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. The church at Pergamum, same chapter, verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him will I give some of the hidden manna. I will give him a white stone, a new name written on the stone, which is no one knows, but he who receives it. The church in Thyatira, same chapter, verse 26. And he who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him will I give authority over the nations. And then chapter 3, the church at Sardis, verse 5. He who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels, the church in Philadelphia. Verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he will not go out from it anymore, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. The new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and from my new name. And then verse 14, Laodicea. He says in verse 21, he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I have also overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. And if you move all the way to chapter 21, I want to show you something interesting here. Chapter 21. Chapter 21 says, a new heaven and a new earth coming down out of glory. The holy city, New Jerusalem. And he says in verse 7, he who overcomes shall inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. This same John who wrote the epistle, who wrote the gospel, this same John who wrote the epistles talking about believing and overcoming. Look, if you will, go all the way back now to first John chapter five, because here's the whole key. He said, he who overcomes, he who is the one who overcomes. Here's the one who overcomes. He says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, Whatever is born of God, listen, watch this, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is the victory that has overcome the world? What is it that overcomes the world? What is it? Our faith. Listen, and who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now watch that word. Look in verse 4. I want you to look at the Greek word here. For whatever is born of God overcomes. That is, that is in the Greek word, the Greek word nakao. Listen, and this is the victory, Nike, that has overcome the world. Again, nakao. Where do we get our word for a Nike missile? 
We get it from the Greek. And the Greek word Nike means victory. It means conqueror. That's where they got the word for Nike missile. And you know what he's saying? He's saying that every single one of us, dear friend, is like a Nike missile. We are victorious. We are conquerors, dear friend, in this life. We're not groveling down here like worms trying to make it. He says we are conquerors. What is it that's made us a conqueror? Listen. What has made us a conqueror is this, that Jesus Christ was crucified for my sins. He crucified me to take care of the old sin principle within me. He destroyed the power of Satan. And he says, now, now that all that has happened, all those things God did. He says, now, having laid the foundation, having destroyed the works of Satan, having, having given you salvation through his atoning death, having crucified you on the cross, the co-crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He says, now, believer, you have one single responsibility toward Almighty God, one responsibility and one only. Not reading the Bible more, praying more, going to church, giving more, doing those things. He says, you have one single responsibility. If you want to overcome sin in your life, if you want to claim the victory, if you want to walk victoriously all of your life, he says, you have one single responsibility because those who overcome come are those who believe Jesus Christ. Now, wait a minute. You said, no, wait a minute. I, wait a minute. I thought you had something more dramatic to say than that. God isn't interested in dramatics. He's interested in simplifying our walk. And what did he say? What is it that overcomes the world? Even our faith. Now, here's the whole key. Wrapping it all up. Now, watch me very well. Listen to me very carefully. Listen. What is it that I'm to believe? I thought I believed all this. What is it that I'm to believe? The cross is where our victory was won. And this is the way it was won. Christ Jesus was crucified as a substitutionary death for my sins. I accepted him and I was saved. Christ Jesus crucified me with him. When he was crucified, my old self died, buried, and the resurrected new me was a new creation in Christ Jesus, now seated in the Father's right hand in the heavenlies. Living on this earth in this physical body is the Lord Jesus Christ living his life in and through us. Now, I have a choice to make every single time I am confronted with sin. And here's the choice. And here's the key. When you and I are tempted to disobey God, we have the awesome privilege to make a choice. If I do not understand and know what I just shared with you, then more than likely, I will make a choice based on my old crucified self. If I don't understand it was crucified and I still see this is the real me, I will act out of the old defeated man. And I will go down in utter defeat. On the other hand, I can make another choice. Same temptation, same circumstance. I can choose to respond out of who I know I am. I am the child of God. Saved, crucified. A new man, a new creation. The Holy Spirit of the living God living the supernatural resurrected power of Jesus through me. Satan's power has been broken and shattered in my life. The privilege to sin is still there, but the power not to sin remains. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm not talking about some erratic experience. I'm simply talking about possessing 
what is already mine to possess, and that is that Jesus Christ provided for my victory. My victory has already been won. It has already been established in heaven, and now the choice is mine. Listen, it isn't a once and for all choice. It is a continuing choice. I have the choice of responding in that given situation out of my old self. If I'm living in ignorance and believing Satan's lies, that's the way I'm going to respond. And I'm going to rationalize and go down in defeat. I have the privilege of choosing to respond out of a new man. Christ living within me. Seating the Father's right hand. The power of sin has been broken. And now I want to, I'm going to respond. I choose to respond out of this new life which is mine. And I can say that I choose death to that Satan. And Satan cannot overpower one of God's children, listen to me, without that child of God giving him permission because... If you do, you have to cut this verse out of your Bible. He said, No temptation hath taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Listen, Jehovah is faithful. Who will not permit or allow you to be tempted more than you can bear, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it? Listen. If, the, if Satan's works had not been destroyed and his power had not been canceled in my life, he could tempt me more than I'm able to bear because he's doing it to believers every single day. But I have, to, I have to make a choice. I have to make a choice to respond out of the old man or the new man. And secondly, I have to make a choice of believing that what Jesus Christ said about me is absolutely the gospel, divine, sovereign truth of deity. And that is, I'm a new man in Christ. The power of sin's been broken. And I'm free to live for him. Listen to me. You're not climbing and struggling and working and praying and pleading and weeping and begging on your way up to victory. You know what you're doing? Friend, you've already got the victory, brother. You're coming down off the mountaintop of victory. You're not, you're not trying to get it. You've already got it. And what happened at the cross is that Almighty God who loved you and me with all of His grace and goodness and mercy. He crucified His only begotten Son, Jesus. He crucified you and me and freed us. He destroyed the power of Satan so that you and I can live in the liberty and the freedom that Christ has provided for us. And my friend, I'm saying to you today, it's yours for the choosing, yours for the asking. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Dr. Charles Stanley, speaker on the InTouch television and radio broadcasts. To order additional copies of this message, or for a catalog listing available video and audio copies of other messages by Dr. Stanley, call toll-free 1-800-323-3747, or place an order online when you visit our website at InTouch.org. If you prefer to write for more information, our mailing address is In Touch, Box 7900, Atlanta, Georgia, 30357. If outside the USA, please contact your local In Touch office. This has been a production of In Touch Ministries, Atlanta, Georgia.